Good morning, brothers and sisters. Merry Christmas to you. (laughs) Today is the first Sunday of Advent. And when I say the word Advent, what is the first thing that comes to your mind? Just think for a moment. Maybe it's a carol. Maybe it's a wreath. If you're similar to me, the first thing that comes into my mind when I think of the word Advent is an Advent calendar. And specifically, an Advent calendar where you open the mysterious window and there's a glorious piece of chocolate. (laughs) Are you with me? (laughs) This is Advent for many. It kind of starts and ends with chocolate. So maybe not a bad place to go. But Advent can go so much deeper than even a piece of chocolate. Advent in Latin, it's the Latin word adventus, which means coming or arrival. And so we're waiting for something to come or to arrive. And what is that? It's Jesus. Jesus, the Christ, the King. Coming and arriving into our world, we celebrate that, the season of Advent, that Jesus has come. We look back to see that he has come. But we also look ahead. You see, the Latin word Adventus has a connection to the Greek word parousia, which in the New Testament is the word for second coming of Jesus Christ. And so we look back, we celebrate that Jesus, God with us, Emmanuel, has come. He's arrived. And we look ahead. That one day, this conquering hero and king will come back. Just as certain as he came the first time. That's what Advent is all about. And over the next four Sundays, we have the opportunity to join really with the universal church. So many churches in the world celebrate these four Sundays of Advent. They'll light a wreath like this and candles like this. I should say not light a wreath. (laughs) They'll light candles and remember that Jesus has come and he's coming again. We're centering our four weeks, these four Sundays of Advent, on the themes today, you've heard it through scripture, of hope. Next week, we're going to talk about peace, that the coming and arrival of Christ brings peace. In three weeks, we'll talk about joy, that we should have joy in the midst of this season because Jesus has come. And then on the fourth Sunday, which is actually Christmas Eve, we'll talk about love, that Advent really demonstrates the love of God into our lives. And so with that in mind, I don't know where you're at necessarily. Maybe you're just at the place where like, man, we just got through Thanksgiving and now you're asking me to say Merry Christmas. So like, just relax. (laughs) Or maybe you're at a place where you're like, the tree is up. The lights are good. I've been listening to Christmas music since November 2nd. Like, let's do this. Or maybe you're somewhere in between. Wherever you're at, really our prayer is that the next four weeks, God speaks to you, reminds you, And challenges you in really new and fresh ways. We're going to sing a hymn right now. It was written in the 1700s. But it's still just as relevant today. It was written by a guy named Charles Wesley in Britain. 
It's called Come Now, Lawn Expectant Jesus. He wrote this specifically for Advent. So make this your prayer this morning. Let's, let's sing. All right, this is a lesser known carol, but easy to pick up. And it's a prayer. Let's sing a prayer. Come now, long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free from our fears and sins. Release us, let us find our rest in peace. Israel, strength and My prayer is that God's word speaks louder and more clear than my words. And so let's start with Romans chapter 15. Will you turn to the New Testament book of Romans chapter 15? It's the last part of that book. Romans 15. I'm using uh, one of these yellow Bibles or green or (laughs) what color is this? (laughs) You have one just like it, whatever color it is in the seat rack in front of you. If you don't have a Bible or you don't have it on your phone, feel free to grab this. In fact, if you don't have a Bible that you're using at home, take this Bible. We'd love to give it to you as our gift. Romans 15 verse 13 is where I want us to focus our attention. Listen to these words. This is so good. It says in Romans 15, 13, Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you'll abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Maybe your coffee has already worn off today. Maybe you haven't had a chance to have coffee. Maybe you're just feeling a little tired. So let's give this scripture the attention it deserves. Let me wake you up a bit. Let's say it all out loud together, okay? Will you do this with me? Here we go. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing 
so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. You getting it? All right, turn to someone next to you or across from you. And you can look at the screen or in your own Bible or phone. And will you say this simple verse to the person next to you or across from you. And then let them say it back to you, okay? So go for a moment. Romans 15, 13. Say it to one another. Love, I love hearing God's word right out loud, said out loud. Well done. This is true. This is a true statement that you just said. <laughs> you may say things the rest of the day that aren't as true. But this is a moment you can be confident you're saying a true statement. That God is the God of hope. It's interesting looking at this passage, you actually see the triune Godhead in this passage. God of hope in the original language uh, would be the Father. And then it says believing halfway through the verse. It's referring to Jesus Christ. And then you obviously see the Holy Spirit at the end of the verse. So you have all three members of the Trinity represented in this passage. God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And it says that God is our what? Hope. The God of hope. Isn't that cool? That's one of God's names. The God of hope. He's known by other names as well. But one of his names is he's the God of hope. Which means he is the author and creator of hope. He is the source of hope. He is the giver of hope. And this is powerful to think through. He is the sustainer of hope. Do you need your hope sustained today? Look no further than to the God of hope. So this is who we worship and celebrate during this season of Advent. A God that we can have hope in. A God that's known for hope. But we live in a broken world. And part of living in a broken world is there's consequences to that. And this word hope, this term can get misused. In our culture here in 2017, hope really basically means a wish. Like, I hope you have a good birthday. Or, I hope you pass the test. You know, it's kind of like wishful thinking. Like, hey, I just wish you the best in whatever you're doing. Or, I hope you don't get sick this flu season. I really hope that for you, actually. (laughs) Or maybe it's this one. I hope that you get a Red Ryder Carbon Action 200 (laughs) shot range model air rifle this Christmas. (laughs) But it really represents wishful thinking in our culture when you say the word hope. But when you dive into the biblical definition of hope, it means something a lot deeper. I'll totally butcher this word, but just go with me on it. Helipsis. It's the Greek word for hope. It's the word that's used for hope in the New Testament. And this is our definition. It's an expectation 
of what is certain. Isn't that different than wishful thinking? It's an expectation that something will happen. It's certain to happen. That's what it means in the New Testament to hope. If you go back to the Old Testament, you come up with this rich word. It's called tikvah. And it means something similar in the Hebrew language, which it means to wait strongly for something or firmly for something. It's often used to describe a rope that binds two things together. And so to hope in the Old Testament is to wait strongly and firmly without wavering. In fact, one of our missionary partners in Israel, Moran uh, Rosenblit, the name of his ministry in Hebrew is Tikva Israel, hope for Israel. And so this is the biblical meaning of hope, way stronger than this idea of wish. And so let's read Romans 15 with kind of a new set of eyes with the biblical definition of hope in mind. So say it once again with me out loud. Here we go. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that you will bound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Such encouragement, isn't it? It says you'll have peace when you place your trust in this God of hope. You'll have joy when you place your trust in this God of hope. And you'll abound, you'll like overflow with hope. Have you ever like put a dish in the sink and turned on the water and then kind of forgotten about it? And then you come back and it's just overflowing with water, right? No, none of you have done that. We live in a drought, right? Remember, don't do that. (laughs) That's what he's describing here is it's overflowing in our lives. We're abounding. We have overflowing hope. That's our prayer. That's our prayer as we talk about this week. It's our prayer for the four weeks of Advent. But obviously it's more than just the four weeks, right? Follower of Jesus isn't about just these four weeks. It's about a life. A life that has hope. In the God of hope. But again, we live in a broken world and there's a temptation for each of us. None of us are immune. I'm not immune, certainly, to not only misunderstand what hope really is, but also to misplace it. To put it even in good things but not God things. And let me just even confess to you, because I think confession's healing to the soul. On mo- this last Monday night, um, I was scrolling through Facebook. Do you guys know what Facebook is? came out a little while ago. And I was scrolling through Facebook, and one of Marie's cousins, who lives in Oregon, posted this thing on Facebook, and he said, hey, to all my family and friends, I, you just have to know, I love you this much, you have to invest in Bitcoin. You have to. It is, the, it is going to change your life. Like, I, I can't rest until I've told everyone I know to invest in Bitcoin. How many of you know what Bitcoin is? Wow, more than I was anticipating. Okay, a little disclaimer. I am not telling you to invest in Bitcoin. I'm not telling you not to invest in Bitcoin. I am completely absolved of any influence in your life about Bitcoin. Okay, do we have an understanding there? Okay. <laughs> Just want to put that out there. But Monday night, I read this thing from Marie's cousin, my wife's cousin. Hey, you got to think about this Bitcoin. I'd kind of heard about it. So I have a message to write. I have a family to love and be present with. But instead, I went on a three-hour Google search 
about what Bitcoin is. And I can't totally describe it to you to this moment. Maybe some of you can help me after the service. But what I can tell you is last week, one coin was worth $7,000. And on Monday, it was worth $10,000. And so Monday night, I begin to stew and contemplate and plan how can I sell a kidney or something to buy one of these bitcoins because the price is going up and I want to give to missionaries and own a Tesla and things like that. And so this was my life Monday night. Now I'm not bitcoin yet. It's okay to invest in things. But my hope was subtly shifting from primarily being in the incarnation of Jesus and his return to how I can make myself financially secure, healthy, wealthy, and in control. And that's just Monday night. I'm not going to tell you about Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. (laughs) This is our lives. We're all tempted to place hope in the wrong places. Came across an interesting book uh, this week. It's from a professor at Columbia named Andrew DeBlanco. He's not a believer, but he wrote this book called The Real American Dream, A Meditation on Hope. And he brings up some interesting points, and I want to share one of his points with you here. He says generally, this is a very general observation from a professor of Columbia, at Columbia and Humanities. He says the first hundred years of America's birth, in a sense, primarily people hoped in God. Not everybody, but there was a general consensus in culture that the main thing that we hoped in in life was God. And then there was a shift. He says the second of three shifts in our American culture. To place our hope primarily in our country, in our nation. It makes sense. We had a civil war. We had two world wars. We had conflicts over the world. And so the culture kind of moved towards nationalism, placing their hope in that. We don't struggle with that at all anymore, right? Yeah, we're way beyond that. Still a struggle. But there was another third shift that this humanities professor at Columbia observed, and that is that in the last few decades, the shift has really changed to have the primary hope of our culture in ourselves, in human development, in my potential. Now, again, there's great things about trusting and having confidence in yourself. But if it's your number one hope, how's that going for you? We live in a culture where in the last four decades, antidepressant medication has gone up 400% in use. Now a disclaimer, there's many very viable medical reasons to take antidepressants, and I endorse that. And yet we as a culture, and I don't have to spend a whole lot of time convincing any of us, we're a culture that's more depressed, discouraged, and in despair than probably any generation before. As we've placed our hope ultimately in ourselves And then we're let down. C.S. Lewis is the author of the great Chronicles of Narnia series. Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. 
he has this really interesting quote when he talks about the white witch or the white witch cast this spell. And the spell basically says this. It's always winter, but never Christmas. Have you ever felt like that? It's always winter, but it's never Christmas. As we live in discouragement, despair, lacking hope. C.S. Lewis also wrote uh, one of the classics in Christianity. It's called Mere Christianity. If you haven't read it, put it on your list for Christmas. It's a great, great book to read through. It was based on a series of radio lectures that C.S. Lewis gave in England. He put it into a book and there's an entire chapter in Mere Christianity on hope. C.S. Lewis mentions there's three ways that people place their hope or three paths. He says the first is this. <laughs> he just honestly calls it the fool's way. It's to place your hope in things and people. Lewis observes, he says, my friends who, who do this, I watch them trade relationship after relationship, looking for the next one to fulfill. My rich friends, I see them trading stuff for stuff, toys for toys, thinking the very next thing will be the thing that fulfills them. He said, this is the fool's way. The book of Proverbs would seem to back up C.S. Lewis if you read the Old Testament book of wisdom there, the Proverbs. Lewis then says there's a second category, and that is the category of this, the way of the disillusioned. It's fading hope. It's the idea that I've been let down so many times in the things that I hope for that I'm just no longer going to hope for anything. Do you relate to that? I've been disappointed, so to protect myself from future and further pain, I'm just not going to hope anymore. I'm going to be neutral when it comes to hope. Lewis says this actually would be a plausible way to go if there wasn't a God of hope. If there wasn't, that, wasn't something that existed outside of us that actually was worth hoping in. He said it would be a tragedy to go your whole life minimizing your hope, disillusioned, and then to find out at the end of your life that there actually was something worth hoping in. So then C.S. Lewis offers a third way, which is this. It's, it's really the Christian hope. It points back to the book of Romans. He says there was a God who came into this world, and he was the living hope. If you're in Romans 15, 13 now, just put your finger up one verse to Romans 15, verse 12. Looking at the context of this great chapter, it says this. Again, Isaiah says, it's Romans 15, 12. There shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him the Gentiles hope. It's possible, it's not on the screen here, but in your Bible, it's possible that uh, this, a portion of this verse is capitalized. It's one of the ways that in our modern translations, we tip off the reader that this is an Old Testament quotation. So whenever you see something in all caps in your New Testament readings, let it remind you that it's talking about something in the Old Testament. And this is talking from Isaiah chapter 11, verse 1. So go from Romans and just start going backwards in your Bible and you'll eventually hit Isaiah. I want you to turn to Isaiah chapter 11. 
Isaiah chapter 11. Let me give you some context of this verse. Isaiah 11, we'll look just simply at verse 1 for now. So there's 10 chapters in Isaiah before verse 11, chapter 11. So we're kind of jumping into, if you're watching like a DVD, this would be like, you know, well, chapter 11. <laughs> I didn't think that out very well. <laughs> so you're halfway through the book, or you're halfway through the story. Like, what's going on? Well, the first 10 chapters... Israel's in a bad spot. Their hearts are hard towards God. They're being attacked by other nations. They're far from God. And yet God has grace on the covenant people. He keeps his promises. He's the God of hope. And so God, even read in chapter 10, out of his grace and mercy, pushes and passes judgment on the attacking nations around Israel. And in one of those nations, right above uh, chapter 11, verse 1, it says, God will cut down the thickets of the forest with an iron axe, and Lebanon will fall by the mighty one. It's this analogy or portrait that picture a forest and picture all the trees being chopped down and all you have is hundreds and hundreds of stumps wherever you look. This was God's judgment on the surrounding nations. And Israel is left in the smoldering dust going, what's happening here? And then God gives this promise in Isaiah 11 verse 1. Then a shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse and a branch from his roots will bear fruit. In the midst of complete despair and discouragement for the nation of Israel, there's hope. Out of all the stumps that are broken down and chopped down, there's this stem. And there's a root. And it's from the nation or it's from the family of Jesse. Which if you dig in through the Old Testament, you realize, oh, it's talking about the family of King David. And David had a promise from God that his family line would endure forever. And so the Old Testament reader is seeing this prophecy from Isaiah and it's clicking to them, oh, this is talking about the Messiah. In the midst of discouragement and despair and a lot of hopelessness, something really hopeful is happening. The Messiah is being prepared to come to the world. And you can keep reading. I encourage you to read uh, verses 2 through the rest of the chapter sometime today or, or this week. Put a bookmark here. Because you have such hope as... It's revealed and prophesied what it would look like when Christ came the first time. And then also you have some encouragement and hope of what will happen as Christ returns. Right here in this chapter. But in Isaiah 11.1 we see that Jesus, the Messiah, is our hope. In the midst of misplaced hope. And so... Lewis's thought, C.S. Lewis's thought is place your hope in God. That's the correct way to go. That can feel a little bit cliche though, huh? Just placing my hope in God. Okay, what does that mean? (laughs) Well, specifically it means that you're placing your faith in Jesus Christ. You're saying, Jesus, I believe that you're the Messiah that came into this world. Lived the life that I could not live. 
went to the cross not for what you had done, Jesus, but for what I had done. The ultimate tree at Christmas is not a Christmas tree. It's the tree at Calvary as Jesus sheds his blood on the cross. And he invites anyone hopeless to place their hope in Jesus as their Savior, their leader, the Lord, the Messiah of their lives. And after that, as a child of God, then the way of hope, the way to place your hope in God is to trust him with certainty that he's coming back again. To have that confident expectation that God is coming again. And don't you want that? Don't you want God to come back? Think about this. Think about all of the pain in this world. Think about the fact that there's kids today around our world happening right now who are being abused in slavery. Think about the fact that there's kids with no parents who are wandering the streets, homeless and in despair. Think about the own cycles in your own family that have carried down generation after generation and have held people back and caused them to fall away from God. Think about people you know who are struggling with addiction. And now think about the fact that Jesus is coming back to break people free. To break people free from addiction and dysfunction and slavery, and everything under the sun that is sin in this world. Christ is coming back to make all things new. And that should be a reason to have hope. This last Monday, a good buddy of mine who goes here to Calvary passed away. He went to be with Jesus. His name is Chuck Ball. Chuck introduced me to Albania and introduced several of us to Albania. Chuck would sit right here in these rows right here. In fact, he was here last Sunday. And on Monday, Jesus stopped his heart, (laughs) called him home. Chuck was this guy, he wasn't perfect, but Chuck was this guy that constantly had the second coming of Jesus on his mind. In fact, you couldn't be around him for more than about 10 minutes when he'd start talking to you about blood moons and certain dates and times of the Old Testament and the fact that Jesus was coming back probably September 17th. <laughs> and when I got the call that Chuck wasn't doing well and he was close to going home to heaven, I was driving from here over to St. Joseph's Hospital. And I was thinking, wow. The day that Chuck's been proclaiming and excited about Jesus coming back, For him, that day is today. Jesus came for him on Monday. And what a glorious, glorious that day was for Chuck to meet Jesus face to face. And we each will meet God face to face. If you're a believer in Jesus Christ, if you placed your faith and trust in him, that meeting will be full of hope. Because he will make all things new. And you will be restored. That is something to be excited about. 
And so this is what I want us to do. Thinking about the fact that hope's fulfilled in Jesus Christ. We're going to take communion in a moment. It's a perfect Sunday to take communion. Because this theme and idea and scriptures beg for reflection. And communion helps set up reflection and remembrance. And I want you today to reflect on a couple of things. One, are you tempted right now or are you in the middle of misplaced hope? Have you placed your hope in something other than the God of hope? During our preparation for communion, maybe it's a time just to confess that. Say, God, restore me and renew my heart. Soften it again. I'm so tempted to take Bitcoin over Jesus. <laughs> it's a time to really think through, what, where's my hope? For others of us, this is a time to reflect on who can you share hope with? If you're following in a real way the God of hope, Jesus into this world, waiting for him to come back with certain expectation, who do you during this Advent season need to share the hope of Jesus with? We have a couple of new ministry opportunities I even just want to bring to your attention. One is we have this couple in our church that's passionate, and I just love their hearts, of going down into the tent cities of Orange County and picking up laundry for homeless folks, taking it back to their house, washing it, folding it, and then giving it back. It's complicated. A lot of homeless tent cities you've seen around here, there's all kinds of things going on there. But their whole purpose is we want people to ask us, why are you doing this? And then they can say, because of the hope we have in Jesus. And so they're going to be in the lobby today. If you want to just go introduce yourself, if you want to sign up to go with them, pass out laundry, we'd love to introduce you to that ministry in the lobby today. We're also in the new year uh, opening a new partnership with the Orange County Rescue Mission. We've had a lawn partnership with them. They have about 200 residents at the Village of Hope. You get it? Village of Hope? <laughs> right here in Tustin. That are going through an incredible program where many meet Jesus for the first time. And their lives are renewed and restored. We have an opportunity as a church to come alongside in a lot of different ways. Uh, the Village of Hope and the Orange County Rescue Mission. But one new way is to make a breakfast every Saturday for the 200 residents of the Orange County Rescue Mission. Cook the breakfast, serve it, and then just sit with residents and encourage them. And so you kind of have a triage ministry opening up with, um, with our laundry ministry and then a recovery ministry opening up at the Orange County Rescue Mission. So if either one of those ministries is interesting to you, I'd encourage you to go in the lobby and meet with our friends uh, before you leave. And so this is what we're going to do. I'm going to invite the ushers to come forward. We're going to pass the bread element of communion. And I want you at this point just to hold the bread and use this time as you listen to the music to reflect, reassess your life. Where is my hope at? And who do I need to encourage with hope? So do that and then I'll come up and I'll lead us in our first element of communion. Let's pray. Father, I thank you 
for this opportunity to visit something so close to your heart. Thank you that you are the God of hope. And I pray, God, that you would give us a renewed hope today. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.